glad that you're here today. We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Glad to have you. Glad to have Beacon Light in the house today. Isn't that just good medicine? That's right. Chris and Juanita. Juanita prayed for me when I was in the hospital over the phone. She prayed for me, and I was ready to get out of the bed and come home after she got through. I, I felt better already. I'm keeping her close. I don't want her going away anywhere. We're so glad to have all of you here today and uh, glad that you could be a part of this worship service with us. Now, I want to start today by telling you something that happened to me when I was in college, and it was, uh, it was a sobering thing, and it was a sad thing, and it was uh, a powerful thing that I remember. I was in college, and back in the day when I was in school, we, it wasn't far from where my family was, and so on the weekends, a lot of us would go home. It only about a 45-minute drive, and I got home on a Friday afternoon. And my mother said that a girl that I went to school with, a girl I had grown up with named Pam, she also went to that same school. You know, when you grow up with somebody, you, you know them as a child. You, you may not be as close to them as you get older, but you just always know them. You know how that is? And so she said Pam had been going from school, actually going to the lake, and she had come around a curve, and there was a rock quarry, and there was a lot of gravel in the road, and her car lost control, and she slid over in front of a dump truck, and she was killed instantly when he hit her. And then she said her mother called me, uh, my mother, because she said she wanted you to be the head pallbearer at her funeral. And she went on and told my mother that I had been a witness to her in high school. I had no idea. I had no idea that she even thought that, but she knew I was a Christian. I was the president of the youth group. We, had a, we made an album in Nashville. We traveled all around Tennessee. Back then, you could go into schools and witness and be a part of that. And so that was just something that we did. And so I was sick. I was sick to my stomach. I, didn't, I, I just didn't want to hear that news. And my dad, my brother, and I, we were supposed to be going somewhere. And I didn't even want to go. I just wanted to stay home. I didn't feel like doing anything. But they encouraged me. And they said, come on. I just couldn't quit thinking about it and, and how tragic. I mean, here we are, kids in college and and now all of a sudden, Pam's gone. And then my mind flashed back to a few months before that. And it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was getting ready to go back to school, to college. And I had gone by McDonald's and gotten something to eat. And it was a pretty day, and I had just gone out and sat on the hood of my car. And I was just going to eat before I got in the car to drive back to school. And Pam drove up. I didn't know she was going to McDonald's, but God did. And Pam got some food, and she came out, and we had a good conversation. We hadn't talked that much in a long time, and Pam just started asking me questions. It was a divine appointment. She just started asking me about God and Jesus and the Bible, and I just started telling her, just answering her questions and sharing that with her, and trying to explain to her how I became a Christian and why and what that meant and what she could do and how that all worked. And, you know, she listened to all of that. She really took it in. And that's immediately what I thought of once I got over the shock of the fact that Pam was dead, that maybe God used that, that little seed that the Holy Spirit worked in her life in such a way that she made a decision for Christ before she died. You know, have you ever been to a funeral and you just weren't ready for that person to die? See, God knows what's best. His timing is perfect. But, but sometimes you and I, we're just not ready. Some people, they've lived a long life. They're not well. They're not going to get well. God, be merciful and take them. And that's the way we feel because that's what they want. And that's where they are. But sometimes it's premature. I remember early in my ministry, I had three different families, three babies died, three different families. I had to do funerals for those three babies. 
And I looked in those eyes of those parents, and I was just brokenhearted for them. There have been times like that, times like that for you too, I'm sure. Times when you just weren't ready to say goodbye. Did, did you ever go to a funeral and wish, you know, right there, I wish somebody could just go up there and take that person by the hand and they would just get up out of that coffin and live and be resurrected and walk and be among us once again. And you'd want that to happen. You want somebody who's sick to be healed. Well, the reason I bring that up this morning is because I want to talk to you on this 9-11 weekend. Because there are people who died 20 years ago because of 9-11. They died. Some of those people were first responders, and they went back into a building as other people were trying to get out. And they went back in, and they said, you know, we're going to take care of other people. We're going to put them first. And they exemplified what Christ taught us to do, and that's what they did. Those people on that airplane, once they realized what was going on, and they knew it was a terrorist attack, they said, well, we got to do something to stop this. We don't want any more people to die. We may not make it, but, but maybe we can stop other people. Maybe we can disarm the plane. Maybe we can make it. And so they said, let's roll. And they went up there, and they fought. And that plane went down in a field. And no telling how many people's lives were saved because they said, we're going to go last. You go first. We're going to take care of you. Have you ever thought about that? On this 9-11 weekend, and the people that you know, people that you've lost, people that you've seen, you, you respect people who go last. You respect people who put other people first. When the world sees the Christian faith in action, when they see what Jesus taught, they sit up and take notice. They pay attention. And one of the things, this is so amazing to me, that it, it ties right in with our story today of Scripture. One of the things that was the most disruptive during Jesus' ministry was when he raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. Now listen, if you saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead, wouldn't you get excited? Wouldn't that just blow your mind? You'd be, so, you'd be beside yourself, and you'd just be so grateful to Jesus, and you'd want to go up and hug Lazarus even if you didn't know him. I'm so glad to have you back. Welcome home. Glad you could stick around a little bit longer. You, you know, it's a miracle. And so you could celebrate that. He was just a man from a little village of Bethany. And, you know, word got out pretty quick, and it got back to Jerusalem. And somebody told the Pharisees what was going on, what Jesus had done over there in Bethany. And they got to working and thinking all about that. What does it mean? The chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was kind of like the Supreme Court in the first century in Israel. And they got that group, and, and they represented the nation of Israel to Rome and Rome to the nation of Israel. And they got together, and they had a meeting. And they talked about what had happened. And we met a person a few weeks ago in this series we talked about who was a member of that Sanhedrin. Do you remember who it was, his name? We said it was Nick at night. Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night. Nick at night. Nicodemus was a member of that, and so he knew Jesus. He knew about it, and, and Jesus had made an impact on his life. And when they concluded their meeting, they said this in John 11. What are we accomplishing, they asked here is a man performing many signs. Now, instead of celebrating about the fact that this guy was resurrected, they said he's not just performing miracles. He's performing signs. What's the difference? A sign was not just a random miracle. Jesus was performing signs that pointed to something new. Jesus didn't come to improve things. He came to do th new things. 
And so the system that was going on with the people that were in power, they were in charge. They, they controlled all the strings of everything, the, the religious leaders of those days. Jesus came and he said, no, we're going to have a new covenant now. It's not just going to be between the nation of Israel and God. It's going to be between each individual person now. Between each individual can have a relationship with God, can know him personally. And so he's performing signs, and he's performing something new. Now, here's one of the most tragic things that you see when he talks about John 11:48. And here's what they say. This is their attitude. This guy's just been raised from the dead, and they say, if we let him, Jesus, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Now, what are they saying? What are they motivated by? There's two things that can motivate us in life. We can either be motivated by fear or we can be motivated by faith. And the Bible says that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And he says the fear comes from the pit. And so we need to be motivated by faith. That's what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't worried about losing his life. He came to give it away. And he taught us what it means to do that. Because Jesus is introducing something radically new. Everybody knows that they will follow Jesus. And the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin say they won't follow us anymore. Boo-hoo. We won't be in charge. They understood that Jesus came to replace everything that was in place. And yet, even in the 21st century, sometimes you and I try to hang on to the old when God says, I want to do something new. See, it's the people who experience the last move of God who are the most reluctant for the next move of God. We have to be open because God sometimes says, even though you're not ready, even though you didn't see it coming, we're going to do something new today, and I want you to be a part of it. And that's what Jesus came to do, and yet we see that. And so it says, now this is so tragic, John 11, it says this. So from that day on, they plotted to talk to him about it to discuss it, see if they could dissuade him. They plotted to take his life. We would rather have our power than to let you live. We're going to kill you to keep our power. Do you see that? Do you see how tragic that is? And now Jesus found out about this. How did he find out? I think Nick told him. I think Nicodemus was in the meeting. He said, I got to slip out a little early today. I got some business. And he left and he went out and he found Jesus. He said, they are coming after you because Nicodemus had been influenced by Jesus. Nicodemus, who was in the power group, who had everything to lose. Nicodemus said, this man is the son of God. He's, he's a man of God. I, you know, I, I don't know all the details. I can't explain it to you, but there's something different about him. And so it says in John eleven fifty four. It says, therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. See, Judea was the region where the temple was, and that's where most of the leaders lived. Now, he could have gone to Galilee. He could have gone back up north with the disciples. That's where he recruited a lot of them. Was up there. They were fishermen. The Sea of Galilee, it's a freshwater lake. It's in the northern part of Israel. If you ever go, you could understand why he wanted to spend time there. He didn't want to be down in the political power city of Jerusalem. That's where all the grief was. That's where everybody stirred everything up. That's where all the, the power brokers were. He didn't really want to be there, but he had to stay. But now he's in Judea, so he has to be careful about his actions and his teaching and his miracles. And the reason he stayed in Judea was because it was time for Passover, and he wanted to be there for Passover. 
And Jesus wanted to celebrate that in Jerusalem and hoped that he was not arrested, but he knew he would be. The religious leaders put spies out around Jerusalem and outside the city. If you see Jesus, if you see this guy claiming to be the Messiah, I want you to tell me where he is. We're going to come get him. We're going to separate him from the crowd. We're going to arrest him, and we're going to kill him. A few days before Passover, they're trying quietly. He's moving around the city quietly. And during his wanderings, he goes back to Bethany. Now, Bethany was where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And the Bible says this in John, the 12th chapter. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to celebrate Lazarus' resurrection. Is that what he did? Not only do we want to kill Jesus, we want to kill Lazarus too. Why do we want to kill Lazarus? This guy just been resurrected. We just got him back. Now we want to kill him because he's evidence. He's evidence of what Jesus did. We don't want people believing in Jesus. And if we can kill this guy, then he can't tell his story of what Jesus did for him. Our whole religious system is up in the air. It's compromised right now. So on account of Lazarus, we see people going over, Jews going over to follow Jesus. If everybody goes over and follows Jesus, who's going to follow us? You know, you still see people struggling for power today. You still see people hanging on to a system that's broken. You still see people just fighting each other to try to be in It's like fighting for deck chairs on the Titanic. Everybody's going down. What are you fighting over? You need to be saving folks, not worried about, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be in charge. I can set up the chairs from now on, right? You became a Christian by faith, but you become a Christian because of faith as well. We see evidence. What happens is <clears throat> people see evidence by seeing it, by seeing Jesus, and then that's when they start believing. See, if I just said to you, believe in Jesus, you, you know, Jesus said count the cost. You got to know a little bit about him. He said, I want you to study me. I want you to know about me. I want you to consider it. I want you to understand what you're doing because once you make a decision to follow me, then I know you're going to be a good disciple from then on. The Bible says in verse 11 and 12, for the account, on account of him, many other Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And the next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So everybody's talking about it. There's a big buzz in the city. Did y'all hear Jesus is coming? He's coming for Passover. He's going to be here in Jerusalem. And in John 12, it goes on to say, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Does that sound like they're celebrating Jesus's resurrection? His, his soon-to-be resurrection? Does that sound like that they're celebrating his Messiahship? Sound like jealousy to me. Sounds like fear. Sounds like I'm worried about me and what I'm going to lose, and I don't really care about him. The stage is set. Spies are in Jerusalem. Now, Pilate knows that every time they have Passover, that there's a lot of people who come into the city. And what happens is that some people will stand up and proclaim that they're the Messiah, and there'll be all kinds of unrest, and, and people will be unsettled. And so he's got extra military. He wants to take care of those troublemakers. He didn't want any trouble to get back to Rome. He wants to proclaim that and make sure that they're not who they, they they're not in power then. So Jesus and his guys were on the road, and it says in Mark 10, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished 
while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to them, him. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And these disciples, they're listening to Jesus and they're scratching their head. They can't believe what they're hearing. They said, wait a minute, wait just a minute. You just got here. You're the Messiah. You're going to set everything straight. You're in power. You're going to set up a new kingdom. What are you talking about? You're not making any sense at all. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. They said, the crowd is with us. We got momentum. You just don't know. You just don't realize who you are. They didn't know that a week later, some of the people who said, Hosanna, Hosanna, would say, crucify, crucify. And so that's what was going on. And Jesus finishes his talk, and they head on down the road, and they continue to Jerusalem. But there's a couple of guys who hang back. He said, can we talk to you for just a minute? He said, uh, we would like for you to do us a favor. And Jesus said, what can I do for you? And, and they replied. He said, what do you want me to do for you in Scripture? And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. Have you got earplugs in? Is there wax in? Do you understand what you're saying? He has just told you he's getting ready to die. It would be like your parents saying, we're about to die, and you're saying, let's talk about the will. I want to talk about the estate. What am I going to get? I know you're dying, but let's talk about me. This is about me, right? They're just totally oblivious, and the other disciples hear about it, and they get ticked off at James and John. And wouldn't you? Yeah, because they can't believe what they're saying. They're talking about, we want positions of authority in your new kingdom. And he said, you don't know what you're asking. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. And then the hours away from entering the city of Jerusalem, they're having an argument over who's going to be at the head of the table, who's going to be on his right, who's going to be at his left. And the Bible says he has to call them again, together again to give them a talk. <laughs> See, Jesus is talking to them, but they're not listening. Have you ever talked to your children and you explain something to them and it whoosh, right over their head? They, they just go right back and do the same thing. I used to have a football coach, and he would say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And he would take us out there, and we wouldn't do it right. And he would say, you're not listening to me. I want you to go run a few laps for me and come back, and then we'll talk some more. When I get your attention, then I'm going to talk to you in a way that you can hear me, and you'll listen. And if you don't get it then, we're going to start again. He would take the football, and he said, this is a football. We're going back to the fundamentals. We're not going to start where we are. We're going to go back. And let's take a few more laps while you're thinking about that, okay? And here in Mark, the 10th chapter, verse 42, Jesus calls them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. What's he talking about? He's saying people in charge, people who are in charge of the kingdom, the rulers, they lord it over everybody else. And they say, I'm in charge of the kingdom. You are my subjects. You may have to go out and fight a battle for me so that I will be protected. And Jesus said, that's not my kingdom. My kingdom is totally upside down from any kingdom you've ever heard of before. He said, in fact, in my kingdom, I'm going to come and instead of asking you to give your life for me, I'm going to give my life for you. 
And instead of being up here above you and lording it over you, I'm going to get down underneath that burden you're carrying, and I'm going to help you carry it. In fact, I'll just take it away and carry it for you. How about that? Because I've come to set up a whole new world. And Jesus looked at them, and he says, that's the way the kingdoms of the world are. But then he says this, not so with you. And he's talking to you. He's talking to you. He said, you and I don't get to live like the world does. We don't get to have the same attitude as we because they don't know any better, but we know better. He's saying that you and I need to be his examples. We need to live in such a way that we are servants, not people waiting to be served. That we're giving our lives away, you know, because if you try to save your life, what did he say? You lose it. But if you give your life away, you save it. So the power and influence is not just for the powerful and the influential. Let me tell you, the most power that you can have as a Christian is when somebody's ugly to you and you act like Jesus to them. It's the neighbor who dumps their trash over the fence in your backyard. And instead of you dumping that trash back over and getting some more trash, I'll show them. And you put some more there. You go buy some groceries and you put it on the other side of the fence for them. And they sit up and pay attention. Huh. I never have seen anybody act like that before. I don't know what they mean. What? What? That? I don't get that. And now, now you've got their attention. They want to know. And maybe they're going to ask you. And maybe you'll get a chance to tell them. And Jesus said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus said, you want to be leaders? My kingdom's an upside-down leader, and the first shall be last. And then before they could object, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Every Christian needs to memorize that statement. Jesus came to die for you and me so that we could have. See, his kingdom was relational. His kingdom was in our heart. His kingdom was, I get to know God through Jesus. I get to have a relationship with him. His spirit moves in and takes up residency inside of me. And I'm led by the spirit now. And I don't get to be led by the devil anymore. I'm doing the things that the spirit calls me to do. They had no idea what he meant. He would be a king who would lay down his life. And the amazing thing is, though, that later on they would get it. The book of Acts tells us what happened. The book of Acts tells us what happened after the resurrection. See, when Jesus gave the pep talk, they didn't get it. They, it. they missed it. But when Jesus was died and was resurrected and then he ascended to heaven, all of a sudden they got it now. They got it. They're not focused on their power, their influence, their ego. They're focused on being servants like Jesus. I want to give my life. I want to give my life away for God in this life and so that others can come to know him. And you know what the first problem of the early first century church was? I'll tell you what it was. They were so busy serving, they didn't even have time to teach people what Jesus said. And others would come to them and they would say, can you, Peter, can you come and preach and teach? We need People don't understand what happened with you. Can you come and tell us about it? He said, I wish I could. But I'm feeding this widow food over here. I'm taking care of people because that's what Jesus did. See, Jesus had told them, don't get too big for your britches. Don't start thinking you're really important because you're not. He said, if you think you're more important than me, you're definitely wrong. 
He said, what I want you to do is show love, and I want you to do it by serving other people. And they were so, they literally had to pry the fingers off of the serving trays to get them and go and teach because they needed to learn what Jesus had taught. They were going to tell the whole world. And they had to tell them, but they were showing them before they told them. They had just come through a parade. Hosanna, Hosanna, we're rock stars. We got the momentum. Everything's on our side. What are you talking about that you're going to die? It can't be, it cannot be possible. Proclaim yourself king and take over. You see, you've already got the influence. Just go on and take the crown. Jesus said, no, that's not why I came. And in John, the 13th chapter, it says, he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. They hadn't even thought about washing their own feet, much less anybody else's. And then Peter said, no, no, said Peter, you shall not wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. And, and Peter said, well, just go on and wash me all over. He said, this will be, be good. This will be enough. The only thing as dirty as your feet, that's what I'm going to wash. Now listen, I want you to hear me. Washing 12 pairs of feet takes time. It's one foot at a time, one after another. And after Peter's objection, I don't think anybody else spoke. I think the only thing they could hear was just water dripping off the cloth that Jesus was using to wash their feet. One by one, foot by foot, he washed their feet and they were humiliated. Think about it. They had seen what those hands could do. And now the hands of Jesus are washing their feet. And when he finished, he stood up and he put his robe back on. And he washed his hands and he sat down at the table. And he said to them, and to you and to me, if you're a follower of Jesus, he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Then he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then he restates the idea of the Son of Man. That's code for the Messiah, given his life as a ransom for many. And he says in John, the 13th chapter, Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you think about them. If you talk about them. If you consider them. If you do them. If the preacher does it, but not the lay people, right? Just, just some of those folks. The people who have the gift of service, they need to do that, not me. I, I, I'm, that's beneath me. No, that's not what he said. You're the servant. You're not better than me, are you guys? Well, you need to serve as I taught you. In other words, when you start thinking you're a big shot, just go wash somebody's feet. In fact, in the years following the resurrection, the persecuted church did just that that. The idea that people would put other people first was counter to everything in the culture, but that's what they started doing. Instead of using their power to become more powerful, they used their influence to be an influence for good 
for others. Christians refused to abandon the sick. And they refused to leave villages even when plagues swept through. And they refused to run because Christians are not afraid of death because Christians don't die. They live forever. Amen? And Jesus showed us that. And they, they eventually became contagious. And people said there's something, there's something about them. There's something about that person something about them that I see they're different from me and I want what they've got I don't understand it all I, I, don't, I can't explain it to you but I want to be like them and against all odds a little cult with a crucified leader with no territory and no military and no authority eventually they were embraced by an empire that originally had tried to destroy them if you're a Christian that's your story. If you're a Christian, those are your people. It worked once and it can work again. What if we just did that? It's not intuitive. It's not natural. It's upside down. It requires us to look for an opportunity to go last instead of first. The other day, I, I had to go get a colonoscopy and it was early in the morning. And you go over there before they open at 6 o'clock in the morning and you pull up in the parking lot, and it's dark, and it's raining. And so I went up, and I sat down on it. They got little seats out there. And I sat down on one of those little seats. And then this lady got out of the car, and she helped her husband get up with his wheelchair. And they came up there, and they were waiting. And then other people came up. They all had different doctors, 6 o'clock appointments to go in and have their procedure. And I was sitting there, and I thought to myself, okay, I could... When they open that door, I could be first. I'm right up there. I'm young. I, I'm still agile. I can beat that guy in the wheelchair. I can do this. <laughs> I'm right by the door. When they open that, buddy, I can be inside. They can take my info. I can be the first. I can be number one. What a great celebration to have a colonoscopy. <laughs> and I thought to myself, it doesn't matter who got here first. <laughs> it doesn't matter who goes in. They're going to take care of all of us. It's not like they got a limited number of these they're going to do today. And I just made a decision right then. I, I just need to be more like Jesus. I, I, I don't, I'm not like Jesus enough. So I just opened the door. And that lady pushed that man in the wheelchair in. And the daughter came because not only was he in a the wheelchair, they were both deaf. And the daughter had to translate and help them, you know. And then somebody, well, this lady came up, and she said, you were here before me. You go next. I said, no, baby, you just go right on ahead. Go on. She went in. We got inside. We were standing in there waiting, and they had us lined up, and then they had two people waiting, and then they said, okay, next, you know, and, they, and I stood there. I stood back, and that lady I had let come in who said, you, you're next. She said, you, it's your turn. You know, I said, you go ahead. She went over there, and she said, that gentleman, is going to let me go next. And I was just very impressed with myself. <laughs> and I just remember that Jesus said, the last shall be first. It's really not about me. It's just about trying to be a witness even when you go get a colonoscopy 
And when you're laying in the bed and those people are coming to take your blood, just trying to make them relax and feel good about life. How are you doing today? You know? And, and just trying to be a witness to everybody. And they're in there in the operating room, and I'm in there telling jokes and cracking them up, and we're having a great time. The doctor comes in, and they give me the happy juice, and there's no telling what I said after that. And here's what it boils down to. Here's a question I want to ask you, and it boils down to one thing. Here's a question we all need to ask ourselves. How can I help? How, how can I help? What can I do? What can I do for the kingdom? What can I do today where I am to be a witness for Jesus Christ? How can I point people to him? You know, I want to think that God used that whole divine appointment he set up to plant a seed in Pam's heart. That he used that. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. I, I just get a front row seat to watch him work. The Holy Spirit spoke to her and maybe, just maybe it made a difference for her. For all eternity, I want to think that. That's my hope and prayer. How can I help? What can I do? Imagine if you said that in your family or your community or your nation. If Christian people fully embraced that whole idea, that whole concept rocked the world once, it could happen again. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen.